You're listening to the Mount Base Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things business. This week, Bert's away, so Jeet and Harriet are discussing the do's and don'ts of recruitment. Welcome everyone to our little Mount Base Podcast again. This week we've got Harriet here with myself. She's the co-founder of Mount Base. Hello. This is my first time doing this. I'm really nervous. Yes, yeah. This is Harriet's first podcast, so she's not very... Um, you know, it's her first podcast. It's my third. So, you know, you can say okay. I'm, I'm going to shine my experience in podcasting onto her today. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. Yeah. So I thought you know, it's really good to get, you know, when people start up companies and people start up, um, their businesses will have their idea. Bert and I last week or whenever it was, were speaking about turning your pub idea into a great idea. Mm. But I think there's something else in there in, in terms of how is it that you actually set up a company what are the steps involved how do you get to year one Mm. Mm. i think that'd be quite a good thing to talk about definitely i mean to start off with i personally think hiring people is the most important thing when you're starting a company and having the right talent because if you don't have great people who have the same vision as you and who want to work towards the same goal then you don't really have anything interesting yeah no i think that's very very much so the case so how is it that you go about Hiring people, what is it that you look for in terms of like talent and finding the right talent? What, what, um, I don't know, what sort of tools do you use? What's your sort of workflow and talent acquisition? Well, we have been working with recruiters actually, which has uh, come up with a good few candidates who we've had and we've had interviews with, um, but we're also interviewing and hiring on LinkedIn and websites like that. So we usually post on LinkedIn, we reshare, we get really good traction with that because lots of our network will share with their network. Sure. So what is it that you look for? I think in in this day and age, I think there's a lot of ways you can actually hire people. I don't think just recruiting. I mean, one of the biggest up, downsides I found with recruitment is as a startup ourselves and a lot of people that we work with is that they have a very high recruitment fee Mm. and a lot of people don't factor that in when they are hiring so they go okay so our budget to hire two new staff is x amount so let's just say for the lack of for the sake of numbers oh it's fifty thousand pounds per year per person um and then what ends up happening is they don't factor in that recruiters have differing fees of that so Mm. you hire someone fifty thousand pounds or you hire two people but then you've got an additional in some cases, another £20,000 to pay up mm. front. It's a huge cost. It is a huge cost. And the thing is, whereas you're paying salaries in a monthly increment, so it's not as de- it's not as heavy on your cash flow. Um, but these recruiting fees are very high at times, mm. especially what we've found in, in the last few months in the hiring market. It's been very difficult to get good candidates. So it's not always, you know, you would think, oh, if the candidate earns, say, again, for the sake of numbers, £50,000 a year, it'll be 5% that you pay up front. That used to be the old model pre-COVID, but what we've seen you know, in, in this area is that people just charge a flat fee now just because they can. So you might hire someone that's you know, 50,000 pounds a year, but it'll be 20,000 pounds. It's ridiculous mm. in some cases. And I think that for a startup is very, very difficult to swallow. I think it's a very difficult, um, strategy to go down because i think it, you do get great people sure but you will also have a, a, a difficult time in terms of mm. do recruiters charge per lump sum or can you have like a payment plan i mean you can have a payment plan but the way it sort of tends to work is that you pay the fee up front and then if they quit within three months you get a section of that back or you get another candidate replaced but 
it's not always about um you know the lump sum payment or whatever it's more about what happens if you do pay and then the person quits in three days and a month and three months and a day sorry Mm. yeah yeah it's a hard one actually to find the right balance especially when you're a startup because lots of startups don't have a lot of um spare cash or the cash flow might not necessarily work in the favor of hiring a recruiter for example so hiring the right talent is super important but the ways about going about it are very different and dependent on the company. Mm, I completely agree. So I think a lot of things that we've seen working with startups is that people tend to hire their friends or their family or friends of friends. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on that and how that impacts cult- company culture and how that could work for a startup? I personally don't think it's a good idea just because even if they are your very close friend, close family, if something goes wrong, uh, which in a startup it usually does, something happens, um, it's usually fixable, I'm sure. But if anything goes wrong and you don't have a professional relationship with these people fully, you have a personal relationship too. I think it's quite difficult to separate those two and kind of work alongside that, I think. Yeah, I think you're completely right because what... I've seen in certain cases that if a startup does fail and a lot of reasons why startups do fail in their first few years is because of the people that are recruited into the company or the visions don't align or or things like that, it's much more amplified when it's with your friends or your family or something like that. So what ends up happening is, is that there'll be a business decision that goes one or two ways. And then what ends up happening is, um, friendships get ruined and then the animosity is brought into the workplace and is also taken out of the workplace into your mm. personal life. So it can get very overwhelming for sure. Um, but yeah, I think what I mean you touched on there is really, really uh, important is that you need to have that professional relationship with your team. You can't, you can't start a business with Gary down the pub and when he's down the pub, when you want to work together, it's not going to, because Gary's not changed. That's, how, <laughs> that's what Gary does, right? So yeah. no offense to Gary from down the pub. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, talent is so important, especially when you're hiring your first few people up to five or 10 people, I'd say, especially in a startup, because they set the tone for the whole company. They are representing your company. They are setting the culture. They're setting the tone. So when you actually do then start hiring further and hiring interns, working with clients, they are like the face of the company as well. So they need to be completely aligned with your visions and hiring your friends or family might not necessarily achieve that. Yeah, for sure. So just sort of like sum that up then in terms of like hiring, say three core things for hiring, what are your sort of three core, you know, must, must do's or definitely don't do? I think must do's, you have to get along with the person. If you don't get along with them, you're not going to work well with them. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to communicate with them properly or, sit down at lunchtime and talk with them about their life and what they're doing. I think that's a really important thing. And then the other thing is that they're just super enthusiastic because especially in the startup world, you need to have that drive and that passion to actually want to make a difference in the world and be amazing at what you do and actually kind of get your company to where it's going to be or where you want to go. So that's another thing. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, for me, I would say... Yeah, you need to be able to get along with your team. So they must match your personality or you must be compatible. Um, 
that's a recipe for success because if you don't enjoy the people that you work with, you won't enjoy going to work and it'll bleed into everything you do. Um, for sure. Number two, I would say is definitely you have to hire people that are on the same page as you and their ambitions match yours. And what I mean by that isn't the go-to, oh, I want to start a multi-million pound company that's going to go global within six months and we're going to have 50 million offices and hire, you know, 50,000 employees and be like the biggest company in the world and we're going to live on yachts and do meetings on helicopters and stuff. What I mean is that if you have just launched your clothing brand and you've recruited two people, you have to make sure that they are on the same uh, they have the same vision as you in terms of your growth structure, your growth uh, potential. Because, you know, if you hire someone that's super ambitious, that slow growth rate that might be what's best for your business won't be best for that person. So they'll just be super frustrated and leave. At the same time, if you do have that really high growth in mind, you want someone who's super flexible or, you know, who's going to really, you know, go along with you for the ride. And, you know, that's how you work. You need to make sure that you hire someone that, matches with that in their personality mm. so so essentially a good culture fit yeah yeah so that i think that leads into culture fit sure mm. um because my final point was yeah um the first few hires completely dictate your company culture so you have to make sure that they need to not just be passively involved in your company but actively in terms of like definitely especially when you only have a few people in the office it makes such a difference if someone is more reserved or is someone is on a skiing trip yeah. <laughs> or someone is very outspoken. I think you need people who are on the same level, have the same vibe or mesh well, which is another really good thing. When we interview people in our second stage, we like to bring them into the office and actually meet everyone because even if they are the best candidate and they have the best experience mm -hmm. and they are stand out, if they don't get on with the team, they're not going to work well and the team won't work well as well. I completely agree with you. And the, that kind of brings me on to my sort of the next thing I really want to talk about is sort of when you are starting up, um, people presume that, you know, when you go to an interview, the people that are interviewing you have been there and done it for years. They know exactly what they're talking about. They know exactly what to look for, um, you know, in terms of an interview and stuff. But what, what ends up happening is, you know, you've just started up your company. You're looking for your first few members. You've never done interviews before. You don't know what you're looking for. You don't know, you know, maybe you're not come from the corporate world where mm. you've sat in on thousands of interviews. What are some of the things that you look for, you know, in terms of very tangible things in an interview that, that you think a, you, a good candidate always does? And what are some things that a bad candidate always does? I think a good candidate is always prepared. You can't be too prepared it's always best to be over prepared so you have every situation every scenario every question covered you've practiced you have a list of questions for them as well i think that's a really good sign is when you have a candidate come in for an interview or you're on zoom interviewing them or on the phone and they're actually in a conversation with you yeah i i completely agree with you one thing i always say is that basically when i interview someone i know from some of the questions i ask that if they've prepared or not, because from the way they carry themselves, their body language and stuff like that to the concisity of, or like the succinct when they answer the question immediately tells me whether they're prepared or not, because mm. you can clearly tell if someone's done six hours of prep for an interview and knows what your company is about from one question or two questions. And when someone's not, when someone's not done that, you can also say, for, uh, you can also gauge that from the same question. And it sounds quite counterintuitive, but, you know, 
there are certain ways you can always see that if the candidate's prepared or not. Um, that's why here at Mountbase we do this thing where we only have a two-stage interview um, for any of the positions, whether it's an entry-level intern all the way to like senior management. Because what we do in the first stage is we throw people off guard and we you know, tell recruiters or whoever that you know it's going to be a first-stage interview, it'll be a Zoom call, and then we keep it very vague so people don't really know what to expect. I suppose until this podcast goes out. <laughs> um, but what ends up happening is, you know, we, we get on the Zoom call and we just go, yeah, it's a very informal um, conversation. And it's not always, for example, if you're interviewing for a sales role, there won't be someone in the sales team that interviews you. It might it might be, it might not be. If it's someone, you know, uh, I've interviewed interns, you know, our media production managers interviewed salespeople. The reason we do that is so you're sort of disarmed, you're caught off guard. So if you've not prepared, you, you would, it's very obvious. It's very obvious because why is it? You would firstly go, why is a media production manager interviewing me for an SDR role? Mm. And then if you go, if your next question is, what is a media production manager and what they do at Mount Base? Well, you've obviously not done your your work, right? I think as well when you have a really small team, they're going to be working so closely together anyway. So they need to meet at some point, and having that in the first stage interview is like a really good challenge I think and also whilst we're on the topic of challenge I really like when candidates come in and they challenge us I think asking questions is different but when they're asking very challenging questions and actually kind of getting really into the nitty-gritty part of the business and asking things that maybe even we haven't thought about about operations or about strategy or about long-term goals I think that's really great because that shows that they are able to get super deep into it and then that also makes us question ourselves, which is really good because then we won't grow and we won't learn. So then they'll actually fit in with the team and be able to kind of sit down with us and say, hey, look, like this might not work, this might work and actually go from there. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, that's, and, and leading on from that, that's another thing that we do here is we we have like a three questions from our side, Max. So in these first stage interviews, we always say that we're going to limit ourselves to ask as little questions as possible. Obviously, we do need, we do do the due diligence in the background, so we know that they've got the minimum requirements or whatever. But when the interview starts, we go. So give me a little bit of background about yourself. And if someone takes like twenty minutes to answer that one question, that doesn't always necessarily mean that they're really good. What it means is they can just list off their CV from memory or whatever. Mm. But if someone is super passionate, goes, you know, I've been working on this project in the fashion industry and it's been really interesting because I've been doing this and I've been working with suppliers and I found out a lot about X, Y, and Z. It's like, great, you know, and you get to see that come across. And then we always disarm them with like another question, which is like, tell them, so how do your friends describe you or something else? You know, not to do with the competency of the role. It's more gauging like how they'll fit in with the culture and how they will fit in with the team but more so it kind of leads them to ask us questions and when you tell someone in the first stage yes it's a conversation so jump in at any point and then they don't mm. that's again a really big red flag because you think yes ask questions because we're giving you you know we always block out an hour for the first stage and sometimes people only take 10 minutes of our time mm. because we won't ask any questions after three but you can ask us as much as you like because at the end of the day we want to know about you and the best way to know about you is by like the questions you ask and really converse with us you know and if mm. it's only one way and you think you're the interviewer so i'm not gonna ask any questions or you know that's really obvious but one of the things we've noticed actually is that a lot of graduates just prepare two or three very basic questions mm. because they've been told to prepare questions and then they don't they've not actually thought about your business or your company or what you do so they just run out of things to say after the third question mm. 
And then they're just sat there in silence and you just conclude the interview because they have nothing else to say. Whereas, you know, you have people that come in super prepared and, you know, they don't get to talk about how half the stuff that they prepared mm. because you're so in the flow of that conversation with them that you just already know immediately that they've qualified for the second stage. Do you want to start a tech company and become a new founder and earn lots of money? Have you tried Tofu? Visit mountbase.com. I actually wanted to ask you as a CEO and obviously you're super busy, being on these first stage interviews is a lot of work, especially when you have a lot of candidates coming through. So, or even on the second stage, I mean, if someone comes on Zoom or comes into the meeting room and you can tell within the first two minutes, really, if, you, if you're going to hire them or if you're going to take them to the next stage, what would you do if you knew someone wouldn't continue to the next stage or be hired at the final stage? Because obviously a lot of our listeners will be startups or people who are very busy and might not necessarily have an hour of their time to sit down and sit in an interview when they know it's not going to go anywhere. I think it's an art. It's a, there's two points to this. I mean, the first thing is your time is super, super valuable. So you can't, if you know within one question that someone's not right for your business, you know, and you'll get that gut feeling straight away and know if someone is or isn't. Um, you, it's that balancing act of still giving them a chance enough to just double or triple check mm. that you've, you know, that they're not good enough. But also, yeah, if, if a first stage interview is so bad or it's just not a fit that it's only taken five minutes, that's fine because that's all you need to know, right? But th what I mean by that is also you can't disrespect candidates that apply because it's great that people want to apply for um, definitely working at Mount Base or wherever, and it's. You know, I take great pleasure in like looking through all the CVs and making sure I try to get to know everyone personally. But if what tends to happen is the reason these interviews don't last very long is people can't talk about themselves. And I mean, that's the only topic that everyone should be able to talk about is themselves. And their so when someone struggle. comes in, how would you suggest they talk about themselves? Do you want to hear where they grew up, where they went to university, what their experience is, or do you I want to know something more personal, like what skill. they like doing it's, on the it's weekend? It's about... Um, answering the question most relevantly. So if someone asks you, what have you been doing? And you answer in an, in, in, and you also have to imagine it's an interview, right? So you don't have any more than the hour. So you have like a finite amount of time. So if you, if someone asks you, what have you been doing? And you start saying, well, this morning I got up, went to the gym and I decided to come to this interview. That's a terrible answer. Like it doesn't really, you know, but then if someone goes, yeah, I've been working at, you know, X company and it's been going really great. I've been learning about this and that's fine. And then if the next question is, so tell me about yourself. What do you like doing? What are you reading at the moment? Which most interviewers ask, right? Right. And if someone just goes, oh, I love learning about blockchain. Um, if if it is true, you can then tell instantly if it is or not, because people will say things that they think you want to hear. I think blockchain, sure, it's really cool. But if someone goes, oh, I'm, I've got a passion for optimization and blockchain learning, and then they proceed to not really know anything about blockchain or are they're not passionate about it you go well that's obviously a lie so you're just saying things that you, that you think i want to hear mm. but i think it's also something that we didn't really touch on is it's really really important to give candidates like the respect and time that they deserve just because they've you know they've taken the time out to apply for your company so you can't be really really too hasty and like stop an interview off two minutes because I think that's also really definitely as well because especially when graduates are coming into interview they might not have ever had an interview before like in a real real life big world job after university so I think taking into account when people are nervous as well you can obviously tell when people are nervous and if that does get in the way of them but then maybe taking them through the second stage yeah. they'd be less nervous or but what I do you think? think like 
Yes, everything is nerve-wracking. Sure, if you've done it the first time or the second time or whatever. But I think there's only one real skill that you need, and it's the ability to know what a it is that you want in your career. In this in this very specific interview case, what it is that you want out of your career, and um, answers just simple questions. Because at the end of the day, if you're coming in for a graduate role or whatever, the questions aren't going to be very difficult. I mean, if someone asks you, "What are you passionate about?" you should know that answer. And if you're if you're not passionate about anything before you apply for jobs, go live your life a bit and find something to be passionate about, right? Because mm. I don't think there is anyone out there who has no passions about anything. Yeah, and what's more important for us is someone to be able to say like. You know, I, I love crochet uh, work on the sofa. <laughs> and I'm like, that's really cool because I wanted to do knitting when I was younger. But mm. again, I wasn't allowed at school because, you know, that whole thing. But that's what I mean. There's that nothing. Whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that, it's a story for another time, I suppose. But I think it's just um, everyone's passionate about something and talk to us about it. It's more how you talk about it that's more important than what it is, mm. especially at entry level roles because you've just come out of university. Like, I'm not expecting you to come in and be like, oh, yeah, I know how to use salesforce integrations with this and do email sequencing and i can do all these other things because no one can do that right but mm. especially out of university but it's just important to be able to be a real person so what do you look for in a cv when you are sent a bunt from a recruiter this sounds really silly but it's just like doing the basics spell checking mm. you wouldn't believe the amount of spelling and grammatical errors and like it's not even like okay if it's something like it's apostrophe or just it's it's just basic. Google it. It's mm. not hard. Um, number two, just read it. There's a lot of stuff that I've read from recruiters, from uh, direct applicants. And it's just someone's written their CV and they've gone, yeah, good enough. Save, send it off. And that's good enough for other recruiters, I suppose. But it's not even been checked through once because there are things that you'd read back and you go, that's... It's just a very basic mistake. Fix it. It's not the end of the world. This is grammatical error. But what that shows to me is just attention to detail. Because Definitely. if you don't have a, you can, again, we don't expect you to have the hardest skills and whatever. But if you don't pay attention to the details, that's not that's not a skill. That's just a basic requirement. Exactly. Especially when working in a startup, we don't micromanage any of our employees. So we need them to have that attention to detail to be able to complete their daily tasks and speak to people and send emails or us having to check them all. Yeah. So the other thing I think that's really important to talk about as well when it comes to uh, hiring and the hiring process is some of the interviews that you actually see, like the second stage. Mm. We did talk about the first stage and looking at the attention to detail and looking at, you know, how people, um, how, you know, just paying basic attention is so important. But I think what, what do you look for in, your sec in the second stage of an interview? Well, in the second stage, we tend to have it in person. So what I really want to see in the second stage is someone who's very confident in themselves and it's easy to talk to and doesn't have awkward conversations. I think that's really important as well. You need to be able to get along with the person and that's really important, which is hard to get across on the phone, I understand. So meeting in person, I think is really important. Yeah, I think also to get, give everyone a better background, what we do for the second stage is much more technical. So we always test the skill in a presentation uh, at the second stage. And then what we do is we have like question and answers at the end. Again, it's like an hour long process, but we do try and make use of the hour. There have been some cases when they've been so bad that 
they've lasted 10 minutes, which maybe we can touch on in a minute. But what we try and do is like, for example, someone's coming in for the role of sales. And we say that because we've just interviewed someone. In, in the middle of this podcast, of we had to pause, quickly run out for an hour and come back. But that is the life of a startup. So, yeah. so what we normally do for sales, for example, is we do, you know, uh, pick us three clients that you would pitch to and people and three people in the in the company that you would target just to see that you know they know what they're talking about or they have the common sense to actually go out there and be somewhat successful in the role it also doesn't mean that if they get it wrong it's wrong it's more you know you're also on the same page of what you're gonna have to teach them on the first day one thing i definitely look for in the second stage is when the presentation is over people go oh breathe is now finished you know mm. the interview's finished they let their guard mm. down but it's really easy to disarm people by going, here's a really technical question. So what sort of sales cadence do you use typically at the moment? And then as soon as they finish answering that question, you go, what's your favorite cocktail? <laughs> and if the person doesn't transition from one to the other quite naturally, I think that's a really big red flag in, in essence, because maybe one, they've just, they don't know how they can be themselves in front of us, I suppose. Mm. And I think you, you want someone to be authentic because you want to hire a sales, I don't know, like an interview version of a person and they turn up and they're themselves and then that's not the person you're looking for. Yeah. I really like to ask people what they do in their spare time when they come in because I think that's a really great indicator of the kind of person they are as well. Like if they like to spend time with their friends, you know, they're sociable. If they like to play sports, they're team players or, you know, some kind of team sport. But I think that's really nice as well because that you just get to know them a little bit better and they get to know you as well, which I think is really important that they get to know you as an interviewer because they're going to be working with you every day and you're going to be working with them. So getting to know each other like on a personal level is also super important, but just not about work. Yeah, yeah I agree. But then I always like to ask as well, what are some of the howlers that you've had at second stage or first stage interviews? What are some of the some of the things that you've seen that you'd want to give people advice on to not do in an interview or as an interviewee, what, what's something that you've done that you'd say definitely don't do that? Well, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't think of anything on the top of my head that I've done that I wouldn't do again, but things that I've seen is probably being too overconfident because you really don't want someone to come in to the environment where you're working who's very overconfident and talks over you doesn't look at you and like look at you in the eye when you're speaking with them someone who doesn't interrupt you i think it's just little things like that which people might not necessarily practice for or prepare for that is just how they are as a person yeah i completely agree and i think the other thing that i definitely don't like is when someone just shies away into their shell so if something doesn't go right they are out of the rest of the interview so mm. for example if I don't know that you have to do a presentation and then you brought it on your laptop, but then that laptop doesn't, isn't compatible with the, the TV or the PowerPoint or whatever that, that you're presenting on. So if you get super flustered and then you just sort of let that energy feed into the rest of your mm -hmm. interview. And what happens if that happened, you hired them, they were in front of a client. And they got super flustered. Exactly. That, that's why. Because what happens is, yeah, you'll go to a client's office mm. and they don't have a TV or they have a monitor from 1990 or something <laughs> and your computer doesn't work with it. Mm. It's super simple. It's just, you know, you slap the laptop down for them and we do it huddled around the table. You know, just yeah. being able to overcome these sort of obstacles and not bring that awkward energy through. Definitely. I think also 
that real it's almost like real life experience not just work experience I obviously like to know what they've been doing and what their professional experience is and how they come across in a professional way but also that's not everything that can be taught I think especially if they're mm. graduates mm, you can yeah, teach them skills and you can teach them how to present and da 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 whatever but teaching them how to look people in the eye when they're talking to you you can't really teach that it's so true right you can't teach someone to not you know shake your hand correctly mm, yeah but um yeah i think that also leads into my next question i suppose is what are some maybe three things that you think are super important to definitely do at an interview to definitely do i think or as an interviewer definitely do as an interviewer or an interviewee both maybe so give me so, six things <laughs> to start as an interviewee if you're going to an interview i would say always dress smart that is the first impression you give someone wear clean shoes, clean your shoes. It's not hard. Wear clean clothes, iron them if you need to, whatever, just look smart, presentable. Even if you're not going to be dressing like that in the role, if it's a very casual role, I would still say go dress smart because people don't forget your, their first impression of you. So if you're wearing dirty clothes or you're not, if it's creased, you know, mm. it's just simple things like that. You can always, you can always be underdressed. It's better to always be overdressed. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I remember the first um, interview I went to for an internship, actually, when I was in my second year of university, I think. It was a very, very startup vibe. And I didn't actually really know that because I hadn't spoken to any of them before. So I turned up and I was in a full suit. I'm not even kidding. It was like this long black dress, white shirt. Very smart, very smart. I could have gone to interview at some corporate job and they would have loved it, right? They were all in jeans. It was so casual and I felt so overdressed, but I'd rather go overdressed. And I, I mean, obviously I got the job. I look great. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's better to be overdressed and, you know, cause you can, it's better to be that way around than underdressed and everyone's super corporate. Mm. Well, if that's the sort of vibe that they're going for, I guess it's different these days. Yeah, you know? I think you can also, when people are on social media, on TikTok, Instagram, even LinkedIn, you couldn't tell the vibe. So I think that's another thing research the company before you go. So look at their Instagram. You get to know a bit more about their personality. Like, do they dress smart? Then if so, go dress smart. If they don't, dress down a little bit, but still dress nicely. And look at their website. Look if they have blog posts. Look if they have videos with their founders or any part of their team. You get to know them a little bit better. And I think a really great thing to do when you're going to an interview is find someone who is going to be in the interview with you from the company and read about them. So read about either where they went to university, where they study, what's their previous experience? What, what are they into? Like maybe you can find something about them, that, their hobbies. So you can actually go and say, Hey, I saw this article about you. I think that's like a really great thing to do in an interview. It's really personable, I think. And it's a really good skill to have, to be able to take that information and actually like talk about it to other people. Yeah, I think that's really crucial. I think my sort of three things are if you're an interviewee, definitely research the people you're interviewing with. It's not hard. Uh, make a personalized couple of snippets of conversation. So if someone posts something on LinkedIn or you just, you know, for example, if I was going to meet a client, I'd do research on my clients. So yeah. research the person you're interviewing with, research the company better, you know, do that due diligence, I suppose. And it takes 20 minutes, you know. Um, Number two is always close an interview. You know, don't just let it fizzle out and go, oh, okay, cool, I'll walk you to the door. Mm. Then you don't say anything and you just leave. Always like, what are the next steps? You know, go super, you know, not aggressive, but go super 
com- not in confrontation, just go super confident and say, you know, after the interview we've had today, do you have any, what are your reservations in hiring me? And if you have any reservations, mm. how can I address those right here, yeah. right now? I really appreciate when someone comes in for an interview and leads the conversation mm. or leads the whole interview because then it shows that they have that kind of drive to be better. And like you said, ask, do you have any reservations about me? If so, what are they? Because that's a really great way to learn more about yourself. And it shows the interviewer that you are willing to learn. Yeah, and I think that's super important. I think the final thing from my side, I think you have the time, you have the date of the interview, prepare something, prepare yourself that, because you know what's going to happen. You're going to be in a room with like two people. They're going to ask you some questions. You're going to say some things. You're going to ask some questions. They're going to say some things. Make sure you have enough stuff to say that the interview doesn't run flat after five minutes Mm. because... I've been in multiple second stage interviews where because of, I guess, the 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 validity of Zoom these days for the first stage is that, you know, people do a really good first stage and then they just crumble in the second stage. Do you they, think that's because maybe they become a bit overconfident? I think it's overconfidence. I mean, the, the example that I can think of off the top of my head is we once had someone come in for a second stage interview and they just didn't speak. They didn't look us in the eye. They didn't, they didn't say anything. I was like, hi, how's your day? They're like, yeah, it's fine. But then it wasn't fine because they were being overconfident. It was just more, they didn't want to say anything. They were just super nervous. They just wouldn't want to say anything. And I was like, we even, I remember in the interview, I was sort of asking a question. It wasn't a hard question. Um, It was something along the lines of, um, where do you see yourself in a year's time or something? And they were like, they just couldn't answer it. So I was like, so, you know, some people say that they want to lead a team or some people say they want to manage key clients and they were just like yeah i guess i do key clients and then they just stopped talking and i was like well if you're not going to speak i i don't know how much more i can help you here <laughs> like i'm giving you every opportunity to like try and rescue this somehow but you have to have something to say so mm. and on the last thing as well of going to an interview be on time be early even if you get there an hour early you'd rather be an hour early than an hour late sit in a coffee shop prepare yeah, I remember when I used to first go for interviews, I used to Google, well, I used to, in the old days, rock up and test. In the, the old com- days? Yeah, in the old days. <laughs> in the old days, five years ago, I used to rock up and test, like, you know, is this the building, this and that. Nowadays, I definitely, you know, if it's client meeting or something, like Google map it if it's face-to-face, make sure that I planned it. I think most people do. So just mm-hmm. see if there's like a McDonald's or a cafe or a, somewhere nearby just to grab a drink and just sit it's much better to be there an hour early and then go in and also be able to relax as well because you don't want to show yeah. up to an interview just rushed off the tube or off the bus or something and you know very yeah. flustered so moving on to what the three best things to do as an interviewer yeah. what would you say is the first one for me i would say let the person take the lead so it's really good to sometimes be comfortable with having the awkward silences just because if someone doesn't say anything you don't want to in most cases answer the questions for them so just let them speak give them the opportunity to speak because they can hear you speak a lot yeah i think that's also really important as well because as an interviewer you are the face of the company to these people and you're just as much on almost in an interview yourself because you really want these people to work for you and you really want to put your best foot forward. So not being rude, even if like we've mentioned earlier, if you don't think that they are a good fit or for example, they wouldn't fit in with the team, still give them the time of day and they can always bring it back around. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Because I've seen interviews sort of sort of crash in the first five minutes, and then at the end you go, actually, this is a really good person. It was just a blip. Yeah. I say the final thing for me is, as an interviewer, just make sure that you give yourself the tools to make a decision in the next two hours because you know don't see like oh, i want to digest how this interview went over the next two days and then make a decision mm. like you have to either know yes or no i mean you should be able to call up the person or if you're using a recruiter you should be able to call up the recruiter and go yes or no straight away and if it's not a recruiter you should know like whether they'd be a fit or not so don't let the don't terminate the interview unless you're 100 percent convinced one way or another and, and in the most sense that you can be 100 percent convinced on anything but you know mm. you and also mean? candidates really appreciate it when you get back to them in a timely fashion because if someone's on a job search the worst the worst thing if you've been taken to a second stage or a third stage or even a first stage getting back to them and saying you've progressed the next stage in it you know like Jeet said, the same day or the day after, because then if they need to prepare for the next stage, they can. Or if they need to continue their job search somewhere else, they can as well. So, yeah, I do hate that when people go, oh, we'll get back to you in three to five days. And you go, well, I thought it went really well. Why are you taking that long? What takes, what, how does it take three to five days to make a decision? If you just met someone, you should know if you want to yeah, employ them or not. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, I think most of the successful agile startups have this rule where from, what we like to do, especially, is between the first stage and the second stage, we like to leave as minimum time as possible. So if someone does the first stage on a Tuesday, we want them in on a Wednesday for the second stage. So in some cases, you can see a CV on a Monday, have the call on the Tuesday, second stage on Wednesday, and then they start on Friday. Yeah. Um, because the startup world moves so fast anyway. We need to be hiring people quickly. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think that was a really good chatting to you about like hiring for startups it's definitely something that a lot of our clients have had um challenges and issues with mm. um it's definitely something that's very make or break for your company so if you ever want to talk about starting up if you just need any advice on finding the right culture for your company or if you just are looking for someone to to chat to about looking through your cv or just giving you some pointers on how you can interview better or something we're always here at mount base so we are we go to chat to you about that. And thank you, Harriet, for chatting with me today. Thank you. And I'm sure I'll see you around the office. <laughs> well, I'm seeing where I will see you now. So, so yeah, I guess yeah. I'll see you straight after this. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. That's it. The end of the podcast. Don't worry. There's more.